Today on Inside the Ropes, an ultra special Masters edition. We cross live back to Augusta, Georgia to catch up with Ben Everill and then relive one of the more extraordinary Masters tales that I've ever heard with Greg Chalmers. All that and a whole lot more. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 189. I don't want to say uh, speak ill of last week's episode at all, but there has been a massive team change here. We've out both Ma and Clayton and in myself, Mark Hayes, and the dulcet tones. We haven't had them for quite a while of Justin Falconer. Welcome along, mate. Thank you, Hazy. I think we'd have a pretty hard time convincing people that you and I are in for Mar and Clayton was an upgrade, but uh, you never know. We'll see how we go. It's Masters Week. Hopefully people have taken their eye off that ball. And, and, and yes, I think that's 100% true. <laughs> I, just, I would just like to thank, um, before we push on here, uh, Lindsay Stephen for for joining the boys last week. I know there were some audio problems with the the, the technolo- technology we were rolling with, but uh, huge thanks to to Lindsay for jumping on the phone. Uh, hasn't been an easy time for him, but he sounded fantastic and great to hear some of the tales that he and Clates had to regale us with. So thank you again, uh, Justin. Before we get to our uh, action packed sort of Masters episode here. Uh, I know that there's something that's uh, gone live this morning on the Golf Australia website that you need to tell us all about. Yeah, absolutely, Hazy. As you said, it's obviously Masters Week, and it sort of feels like Masters Week, but it also sort of doesn't feel like Masters Week. It's a bit of a weird one this year. But uh, we've got a big one coming up starting today. It's just gone live. It's Masters Living Room. So we'll just touch on it now. We'll go into it a bit deeper later as to what sort of prize is up for grabs, and there's some beauties. But if anyone wants any more information, head to masterslivingroom.golf. Basically, we're asking people to get in the spirit of things this week and either dress up, head to toe in full Masters merch, dress up as your favourite golfer, dress up as your least favourite golfer, paint the walls of the living room green if you want. Uh, the best setup as we all sit at home this week and watch the Masters in the living room will be uh, the prizes up for grabs. So we'll go, as I said, into a little bit more detail later, Hazy, but uh, we're asking people, we're obviously all going to be watching from home this year, even people who are lucky enough to get badges for the Masters this year, they'll be watching from home too. So uh, masterslivingroom.golf. Uh, just uh, crack open uh, anything green you've got and uh, we'll go a little deeper on that one later. Perfect. Well, I, I'm looking at you here on a Zoom call between us only and uh, I really like the fact that you've gone with the Georgia Pines in the middle of your lounge room. I think that's a fantastic touch there. I'm not sure how you got the council <laughs> permit, but I think that's a fantastic addition to the Falconer living room. Uh, never mind that. We've got, a, we've got uh, last week we crossed across to uh, Ben Everill in, uh, in the United States and he's been good enough to join us today by popular demand. A very popular guest when we have him on Inside the Ropes and he's joined us this week direct from Augusta. Benny, welcome along again, mate. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to fill us in on what's going on at the epicentre of the Masters. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I guess I can be a good judge of whether this is an upgrade or not once you and I get through a bit of a chat, eh? <laughs> That's a very good call. And I, what I did, what I thought was remiss of Andy last week was to not sound you out on the magnificent NRL Grand Final. Um, another fantastic win for the, you know, the epicentre of uh, rugby league in Australia in Victoria. Oh, look, mate, the storm, they just keep rolling on, don't they? I mean, but uh, uh, as you know, if you listen to the game, um, or if you were watching the game on Channel 9, and you would have thought the Panthers were morals, wouldn't you, the way that Gus was carrying on? But, you know, the Storm is basically like the Patriots are over here in the NFL, and I've been here a long time, as you know, and they just seem to find a way, don't they? And 
as much as I used to like used to hate them from the days when they knocked off my my dragons in 1999, I just have to tip my hat to Cam Smith and the boys for just turning up every year and being competitive. Whatever we do here, just please don't get hazy started on Phil Gould because. We even though it's Masters Week, we won't get to much coverage of what's happening at Augusta. If we do, so let's stay away from Phil Gould if we can. <laughs> That's a fair, fair point, Benny. Uh, we've we've caught you. It's uh, I would describe it normally during Masters Week as an institution of Augusta. Uh, after a long day's work and in, in preparation for for the event coming up, you you've sort of be, become a creature at T Bones, which is a steak restaurant and bar on Washington Road, right near the course. Was that where we found you this evening? Yeah, just heading up uh, the old T-Bones. I might have been there last night, having an old steak and a, a chin wag with the owner, who I've been visiting for many a year, <laughs> as you know, after each evening during uh, the Masters. But it's a very different place right now, let me tell you. Hey, we can actually get in the joint. Uh, normally, you can't get in. They've got an overflow outside with you know hundreds and hundreds of patrons sort of getting their, their, their steak and their beers after another big day. But... Um, it's a different Augusta for sure. There's nothing really doing in the city. And in fact, the owner told me, he goes, it feels like it's not even on. Um, and that's the case. And when you go into the grounds like I did, it feels almost the same way. It's just a bizarre, bizarre scene. Uh, nothing I've ever seen before. And the fact of the matter is you can see the entire course from the, the top of the hill, Hazy. I mean, there's just no, no grandstands, no ropes up. Can you believe it? We just sort of wander around and get lost on the property. Is, it, is there a sense of sadness might be a bit strong, Benny, but is, is it a bit flat that town sort of feels like that? I mean, if you're in Augusta during Masters Week and it feels like the Masters is, isn't even on, uh, it must be sort of a little bit deflating. Yeah, it, it's definitely surreal. There's no doubt about it. It's definitely different. Um, and I tell you, I, I found myself, uh, like most uh, writers can be sometimes, being a little bit pessimistic and uh, in... in what was going on until I went out on the course, as I said, and wandered down to Amen Corner basically by myself and was no ropes, et cetera, and then ran into Tiger and Bryson playing their practice round and could have reached out and touched Tiger on the butt if I wanted to while he hit his shot at 12. Then I realised <laughs> I was in a pretty special place and thought, okay, maybe stop talking about all the negatives and think about the positives. And this is no word of a lie. I was retelling that story at T-Bones, um, with uh, not the owner himself, or oh, he was there, but not not he he's not the man I'm talking about in this story. Where a gentleman of considerable worth uh, said to me, "What? Where were you? What were you doing?" And he said, "I would have paid a million dollars to be there watching that today." And let me tell you, he has more than that, so it was a legitimate claim. Uh, in fact, then he started investigating how he could buy a company that had passes inside so that he could potentially see this Masters from up close. That's what oh. it meant to this guy. So he, pretty he, happy to, he, to... Does he have a lawyer, Benny, that could uh, help you alleviate any problems of you reaching out to touch Tiger on the backside? <laughs> Possibly not. I think Tiger would Tiger would show me how much power he's still got in that driver up inside my head, I think, if I had to reach out at that moment. Um so he does like to make fun of me and others when he can. He, you know, you know yourself, Hazy. He has a little bit of an acid tongue, but thankfully Steve DeMeglio was there too, who is definitely the target of any joke that Tiger likes to put on, and and we were able to sort of deflect any sort of uh, banter against him. And all old Steve can do is always shake his head because he's he's just an easy target. 
one of the great writers there on the American scene. Of course, famous for most listeners or readers, I should say, of the USA Today. But um, Benny, I'm, I've been fascinated, and it goes to Washington Road, where all the shops and restaurants, etc., are. Um, but primarily, as you say, out on the course, um, there's so much more open space from the pictures you've seen. For example, in an area that you were just sort of vaguely talking about there, there seems to be a lot more space right off the 11th tee, for example, for people to miss without driving it into the to the patrons. I hate using that word, but the patrons down there or, um, you know, there's, there's areas of the course that open up and I'm sure we'll get you to talk about uh, where Bryson was driving the ball potentially even out onto the 14th fairway that isn't normally in play. 100%. Yeah, there is a little bit more space in 11, although uh, Justin Thomas still hit those right trees for his attempts when I was watching. Uh, however, and we saw this with Tiger a few times in recent Masters, if he goes further right where the crowd usually is, they've got that shoot. And this is sort of a way you could almost aim to go right of the trees and just play down the shoot if you needed to, which is open and absolutely no one there at all. Um, uh, as for 13, <clears throat> if you don't hit the greatest drive and you, and you are back sort of near that pine straw, you are sort of laying back and you're thinking about a layup, you don't have to now place it in that perfect spot, that the one little bit of flat spot that's down the left um, closer to the green. You can just flail it out to the right um, and find the 14th tee box or in front of that tee box for a good you know, 20, 30 yards in front of it is flat ground. And now you've got depending on the pin, a much easier flop shot over to that 13th green. So uh, there, are, there are spaces like that everywhere on the course um, with more open space. Some of, some of them might be a bit disadvantageous in terms of like maybe the fourth, that long par three that used to have the grandstand on the left. Now, if you're missing left, you'd, the, that ball's probably gone um, with nothing to stop it. But outside of that, um, they've definitely been given the all clear and, and the space to do what they need to do. So are there any holes, for example, the 15th comes to my mind where uh, famously there's the, the grandstand, I suppose, to the left of 16T and also near the bridge there and also on the right between the, what is it, the 17th fairway and the 15th green. Are there any lines that need to be reassessed by the players and, you know, given they might have taken it with a little draw off the right side of that grandstand, for example? Yeah, they have to find new spots to look at because that is probably the most dramatic of all changes in scenery. When you're at the top of that crest on 15, all of a sudden you see the whole golf course. And that's mm. bizarre, as you said. There's no frame at all. You, you don't even realise that that's where the tee is for 16 and that's the group because it's just not what you're used to seeing. There's all things usually blocking all those scenarios. And you can see off to the right, you see 17. You know, and you, you, you see beyond... Uh, the 15th as well. Like, it's just this this new look that um, none of us have um, really seen because even uh, those lucky enough like yourself, Hazy, that play the, the day after of a Masters, the grandstands are still there even if they don't have people. This is no people and no grandstands. Or, uh, so it's just, it's so different looking and so weird looking to, to have it like that. But um, yeah, absolutely. I guess to get back to your question, they, you know, they don't have as many... There's the odd TV tower and camera tower there, but if that's not the line they're looking at, they've got to find a new spot. It's it's part of the reconnaissance they're all doing these last few days. And how wet is it, Benny? Because we know there's been a bit of rain already and there's probably going to be more on the way. And would a drier golf course have sort of exacerbated these sort of things we're talking about, about new lines and new ways we could 
uh, new ways that players could sort of attack greens because I was talking to Lucas Michelle and he said the fairways are really bare and if it wasn't raining so much, he thought it would run much, much more. So uh, how how much has the rain sort of impacted uh, how much different the course would have played, I guess, if it was dry and there was also then no patrons sort of uh, blocking up areas? Yeah, we haven't had the rain just yet. Uh, as what we were expecting. So if that continues, it won't be as bad. But the forecast is that we're still going to get it. So we're still waiting for it to happen overnight here. It's supposed to you know, really open up. In fact, within the next hour is supposed to be when um, it really sort of gets going. And then Wednesday and Thursday are expected to be just thunderstorms all day, um, going through Saturday being another poor day um, rain-wise. So it will get wet and it will soften up and that will stop that role you're talking about. And I think they were trying to set it up for hard and fast if they possibly could because you can already see some browning on some of the greens. They were letting those sort of go a little bit to, to really uh, speed things up in that defence um, uh, and possibly because they're expecting some rain. But they can sub-air those, keep those fast. They can't do that to the fairways. It's it's still likely to be very soggy and, and play into the hands of the big bombers. Uh, whether that's um, something you are happy with or not is neither here nor there, isn't it? It's just going to be one of those ones where you get it down there, you're not going to get much roll, and then the closer you are, the more likely you are to get it close to the hole. So, Ben, we're very fort- uh, fortunate to be able to speak to Greg Chalmers after yourself here on the on the podcast today and get his thoughts on it. But one of the big discussion points um, is obviously going to be Bryson DeChambeau and the other bashes of the ball. I noticed that Phil Mickelson's gone up to a 47.5-inch driver as well in search of that extra distance. Um, for the now 50-year-old, it's hard to believe that. But uh, you, as you mentioned, walked with Bryson and some of the numbers that um, are, that have been on display here with the clubs that he's had in for, for various holes. I'm not sure if you saw this today, and we'll go over this with Greg Chalmers a little later on again. Um, but into the first, a Sam Wedge, into the 13th, a 7-iron after driving with a 3-wood. Uh, 17, he had a Sam Wedge in. He flew the green with a three-wood off the par four third hole. Um, what's, what's your thought having watched this beast and what it's doing to the course? And what do you, what's your gut feel about what the reaction is going to be this week? I, I noticed that he said, um, I was watching Golf Channel's coverage last night through um, Fox here in KO, and they said uh, that he'd reported to um, uh, Lewis that, it was a par 67 for him. So if he played reasonably, he would shoot 467s. If he, even if he chopped it, he expected to shoot sort of 470s, which would have him in the mix most years. Yeah, it's it's dangerous territory, what he can do here if he's on. Uh, now, he hasn't ever putted well here, which people keep throwing at me, but that was before he turned his putting around in general terms as well. When he you know, his 10th on tour last year, <laughs> prior times he'd gone to Augusta, he was 140th on tour in putting uh, and now he's getting much closer so he's wedging it closer and not needing to putt as, as well um, but from what I saw in person it was just ridiculous he hit it down 11 so far like 30-40 yards past Tiger's best and just had a wedge to flick in at an angle where he could you know do what he wanted really um, on the left side down there and then 13 we watched him have three cracks um, the worst of the which was 150 yards out um, it just defies logic on what he can do. Now, Augusta's defence, though, if you if you want to be sort of in the fair income department, all the players can 
eagle every par uh, three, uh, par five, sorry, on this course if they hit good shots. They're all capable of reaching them uh, in two mostly and, and, and in getting those numbers. Obviously, the closer you get, the easier that is. Where it's really going to matter is on those par fours that generally are the defence of this course. And what he was able to do, as I said, on 11, which is supposed to be a hard hole, was ridiculous. Um, what he's able to do uh, on five, ridiculous. What he's able to do on seven, almost drive it up towards the upslope and the green, just crazy. On 18, he cleared the bunkers with ease, way out, straight over the top of them, over the shoot. Now, and, you know, I watched Jason Day hit one of his best there today, a cut, uh, just cut a little off the line, and it was, you know, barely, it was sort of level with the bunkers you know, in the fairway. Bryson uh, was miles past that. Uh, it's it's something that, you know, I don't know where we go from here. I'm not an expert in any of that by any means, but I do know that Adam Scott, uh, we wrote yesterday, expects that the lawmakers will change things if he is to dominate, but maybe in a way we don't expect, which is to get rid of his arm lock putting, just like they did with Scotty's anchor putting. That's what I was going to touch on, Benny. What's the what's the sense among the playing group about what Bryson's doing? Obviously, they've all been quite complimentary, I think, uh, as to sort of how successful he's been in his change of approach. And Jordan Spieth, you mentioned his putting earlier. Jordan Spieth was quick to point out how good Bryson's putting's been, especially at the US Open. He thinks it's quite underrated about how well he's playing. But do you get a sense among the playing group about what Bryson might be able to do this week at Augusta and how they feel about it? I mean, they're not going to come out and criticise him or anything, but do you get a feel for sort of no. what the players might be expecting this week from what he can do? Yeah, the ones who have seen him up close expect that if he if he plays well, just like he said, if he plays well, he is going to be very tough to beat. And there's a lot of references to Tiger of 97. Um, Tiger was hitting at 30 yards past everyone there and he also played the rest of his game well, which meant he dominated. Now, if Bryson is hitting at 30 yards past everyone and doing the rest of the game half decent, he is going to be, you know, 15, 16 under, and then someone's going to have to match that. So unless you can match it, hmm. it's going to be his, isn't it? Like, and, you know, and, and we are making the assumption that he's going to continue to putt well and he's going to not get himself in tricky spots where the Bermuda is still a little bit coming through because it's November around the greens and uh, but I just there is the chance that he could be he could do what many have done in the past and have one of those blow up holes you know he could be one that puts it in Rays Creek and on the path on the 12th and and has a five or a six but if he's got enough of a buffer it won't matter will it so it's just it's interesting indeed the players are expecting that he'll he'll play well and they're thinking that they're just going to have to try to match it as best they can and um, it, it'll be interesting. Maybe they're talking him up though to, to give him a sense of, uh, you know, a complacency or even more pressure. There may be more pressure on him given that everyone thinks he's going to do this, and that might be the saving grace for the rest of them. I, I, there have been very few masters where there's been more winning chances. If you uh, if you run a form guide over the over the entire field, there's you know there's the Morikawa and Wolf factor. There's the Tony Finau bouncing back. He was there about last year. All the big hitters, all the normal guys, the Tyrrell Hatton coming through. Uh, you know, there's a million to one million storylines here that could bob up, but yet everyone's talking about Bryson DeChambeau. I just get that really strong sense this week that it's going to be a, a tipping point for the future of golf. So I probably should stop talking about him a little bit. But Benny, we're recording this on on our Wednesday morning. Um, we probably have to leave you alone soon, so your steak doesn't get too far past medium rare, but. 
we need to know from you a little bit more about the Australians' prospects and how you think they're shaping up, if you don't mind. Yeah, look, well, um, I've been lucky to talk to all of them in, in depth, except for young Lucas, who you guys have spoken to uh, many a time. Uh, of our four big chances on the on the tour, I, I like the way they're all speaking, uh, even if people like Mark Leishman are coming in with very little, if no form at all. Uh, Leish spoke at length about how having no fans over here was something that has really affected his game more than he thought it ever would. But uh, he's always thrived, even if sort of under the radar way, on feeling like he's being slighted over here or being the underdog or being the guy that no one knows. He's used that to his advantage. And without that sort of energy, he struggled to find that same energy in his game at the right time. So he was just hoping that being in Augusta might um, give him a little bit of a leg up. Uh, and, you know, he's got history here that says he can do it. Uh, Smitty, well, he finally sort of started to put some good results on the board the last few times he's played. Um, I was talking to him about, and he wasn't aware of this, but he seems to have a mid-year slump every year. And, in fact, 40%, I think, of his career uh, PGA Tour top 10s have come in the, the months of October and November. So he's pretty keen that I gave him that stat and hoping that he can add to that. Um, he's just coming into form at the right time and, <laughs> and feels like no one, no one is thinking he has a chance, you know, he's not known as a big hit, he's not known as this, he's like, it's perfect for him, he's going to, um, hopefully he said he's going to watch his Queenslanders uh, win an Origin Series and take that forward into his own <laughs> performance. And then uh, we have the other two, right, we have um, Jason, who it all comes down to if his back holds up for four rounds, uh, last week it did, that was not what put him out of the final round in Houston, uh, it was his driver, believe it or not, that led him down there on that final round. He had been doing okay with it and had turned his putting around through the first three rounds, something that has really bugged him of late. Uh, but right before the Houston Open, he went and got a, a video analysis done uh, that he uh, in uh, in Texas on his putting stroke and compared it to the same sort of analysis that they had done in 2016 when he was the world's best putter. They found a significant uh, change in both posture and what he was doing with his path. Uh, he was cutting the you-know-what out of it, as he told me, but at least five degrees difference. Uh, they were able to straighten it up. He fixed his, fixed his posture. Um, and in the first three rounds last week, in uh, except for the last hole on, on Saturday, he was putting back to his usual standard strokes game-wise. So he's, he's mindful of, of fixing that, and he, he feels like he has in practice here the last few days as well. So that might bring him back into the fold. And then there's Adam. Adam says he's over the COVID. He knows how to win here. He's added length to his game, a longer driver, just like we spoke of Phil and Bryson. He has a longer shaft in his driver. He's gained uh, distance with that change to the new uh, Pro V1 Titleist ball, which he hadn't done since 2015. He was using a two-model old ball because he likes to keep what he knows works for him. He made that change, and he led the field last week in driving distance, and that was a field that had DJ and Brooks in it. So... Um, he's hoping to turn that into success at Augusta this week as well. It's all very exciting. I think uh, most of us listening to you right now, Benny, are very envious that you're there. It's just one of the great weeks, and I know that it's in November and not April, but still, nonetheless, it is the Masters. Um, and I think for you to walk around without ropes is just <laughs> could be one of the great experiences, I think, this week. So we're really uh, appreciative of your time, mate, and your knowledge as always. Uh, have you got something you want to leave us with or a tip for, for, the, for the punters? Yeah, you know, the punters are looking at guys that 
at odds. And you were saying there's so many storylines and, and players who were there or thereabouts. There's some, there's some obvious ones that be, because of how many that are in the mix, you might not get at. Um, Patrick Cantlay won just a few weeks ago, and most people won't realise that he you know, shot a million under on the weekend in 2019, hit the lead on the 15th, and then had a Jason Day moment from 2013 and bogeyed 16 and 17 to fall out of the lead and let Tiger come through. So he's one to look at if you get odds. And despite the fact that there might be some mud balls, Bubba Watson is a sneaky, sneaky <laughs> chance again. He's been playing well lately. He hates the rain, but at the same time, if it holds off enough when they're playing, he's hitting it long. He's been playing well. He could just be that one that spoils the Bryson party. Oh, I couldn't imagine. I can't. I can't imagine him going to blub on the 18th green without anyone there to sort of console him. They mate, I just can't. Have it. <laughs> uh, Benny, thank, thank well, you I'm so much. If, I'm thinking that if. Well, I was thinking, boys, that if uh, if one of the Aussies is coming up the last and you know in contention or are going to win, and we have another Adam Scott on the 18th moment, this time I'll make sure that I'm out there front and centre, and I'll make sure there are some roars that we may not have heard otherwise. Uh, I'll make sure I really roar <laughs> an Aussie home if I get the chance. Your chance. You've heard it here. If uh, if Adam Scott or Jason Day is going to be in the mix, you're going to see our man Ben Everill out on the 18th at Augusta National. <laughs> this will be uh, history in the making. You heard it here first. Benny, really appreciate your time, mate. Have a great week. Um, you know, we, we can't wait to read all the stories that you're filing for, for AAP this week in uh, Evan Priest's stead. And uh, good luck for everything out there. And don't walk too far out onto the middle of the fairways. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. And yeah, it's going to be a good week. And I'm, I'm very lucky to be here and thankful for it as well. Ben Everill joining us on Inside the Ropes. We'll take a break and come back with none other than Greg Chalmers to talk, to give us his thoughts on the, uh, the distance explosion and the Masters straight after this on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back Inside the Ropes. Uh, great thanks again to Benny Everill. Uh, now it's our absolute privilege and honour to be joined by dual Australian Open and dual Australian PGA champion Greg Chalmers, who I'm sure would love to be in Augusta this week, but he's uh, otherwise detained in Texas, and that's where we catch up with him. Uh, he's a repeat visitor to Inside the Ropes, and we welcome you back for another chat, Greg. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Oh, we're outstanding. I'm imagining uh, after playing pretty well last week, you're in the same sort of boat. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I, like I made made a cut last week, so that was kind of exciting. And uh, I actually showed a bit of potential here and there after doubling the first hole for the tournament. Um, you know, 50th place or something around there is, you know, it's a fine line. It's sort of a couple of shots away from something cool. So, um, yeah, it was a solid week. And now I'm, I've run out of medical starts. So now I'm sort of going to do a few Monday qualifiers and, and take a look at uh, some other options. So what to ask you about that? So how is the back and, and you know, is it all everything physically fine and what, what is your, your mental approach to, to, to doing that sort of stuff given you haven't had to do it for, for a very long time? Uh, look, I, I still love the game, but, uh, you know, I'm 47 years old. Uh, my back is fine. It's, I've, I've never been... Um, I've been stronger. I've been working out and I'm on a horse guard every night to keep it that way, pain-free, because arthritis is never going to go away and I've got it in five joints in my spine currently. Um, so uh, I, I just got to work out and I've got to uh, stay on my anti-inflammatories. And then um, I, I might get into, I've been exploring the possibility of doing some short game stuff and teaching some people. I really enjoy um, working with particularly, you know, 
high school and uh, and college players. It'd be fun to do that. I've, I've done a bit of mentoring, a few things along those lines over here already. So um, I'm, I might explore that here in the in the off season, and uh, and sort of ease my way into. I'm in the the qualifying process to get my card back next August. Um, so I'll get some starts on a past champions category leading into that. So we'll see how the next sort of six months evolves and. Um, you know, it might be nice just to be home and, and maybe maybe teach some people how to. You know, everyone's driving it so far these days. Maybe they can, I can teach them how to go from there. You've you've made a point previously, Greg, of really putting your hand up to try and uh, help sort of the younger generation, particularly of Australians. I know you've mentioned to us at the Australian Open one year that if you needed any help with helping out the younger kids, that you'd be more than happy to do that. Is that something that you're really passionate about, trying to sort of teach the next generation and especially maybe kind of guide the the Aussies? Uh, through some tough times on sort of the bigger tours around the world, um, I, I, I am. I, I really, I really love it. I, I really do enjoy it. And and I did a little bit um, um, with. I went to Golf Australia, had their uh, big sort of meeting in Houston. I went and chatted to the kids there. They're training, uh, watched them train, and and answered some questions. Um, so yeah, and I've had uh, you know uh, young guys come to my house sometimes, and I'm open to it um, because I. I've always thought I'm not the most talented guy in the world, uh, but I've got the maximum out of my talent and there's an art to that. And I think I've got a couple of things to offer because I can be quite honest. Um, I'm not, um, I'm not willing to, you know, guard any secrets. And so I think there's some, and and I've also bridged that gap that Australians, I think there's a real thing with young Australians. They're quite talented. um, But the, the American players are quite, they're talented, but they're, they're more confident. And I think I can I can sort of help kids sort of bridge that gap sometimes. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm open to anything. I, I really um, I'm not I'm not looking to sit around and and guard knowledge. I, I I'm happy to get it out there and and share it with people if if they're interested. Greg, I was looking back. I I'm actually surprised by this. I thought you might have played a handful of times at Augusta National, but I if I'm not mistaken, it was the year that Tiger completed his Tiger Slam. That was your only appearance at Augusta National. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, 2001, I got in. I finished fourth at the PGA. They got the top four get in. Uh, the one where Bob May at, uh, uh, lost in the playoff to Tiger. Um, I finished fourth that year, and that got me in the following Masters. So yeah, one time, one time only. Um, so uh, very cool experience, and you know, a lot of people don't even get to do it once. So uh, I've played every major now, and and uh, some multiple times. But yeah, just once there, and it was very, it was unbelievable week. So I, I bring that up because I noticed you on Twitter as you're, you know, you're a pretty regular, uh, make a regular appearance on Twitter these days, which is fantastic. Um, it seems that envy is the wrong word, but you always appreciate what's going on at, at the Masters, perhaps more than any other week of the year. What, what is so special about the tournament for you? Uh, uh, so much. I, I think it was one of my earliest memories was I was 13 years old, was 86 Masters. So getting up early and watching that on Sunday, um, you know, I just started kind of getting into golf a little bit and getting up early, you know, to watch that uh, was really cool and how it all unfolded at the time. And, and, and I think you get hooked on the mystique um, and it just, you know, how hard it is to get into the field. Um, it's so exclusive. And, and so, you know, that that has an aura to it. And then you finally get there. It's like a journey, you know, like, a, you know, it took me, I don't know, you know, 15 years or, you know, from a 13 year old boy till I got there in 2000 at 27, 28. Um, so 2001. So yeah, it's just a journey. And sometimes your, your first time there culminates that journey. So 
I think that's um, that's really cool. Um, and there's so many great little traditions there, and and uh, it's quite overwhelming in some ways when you first go there. So um, I love everything about it. It's brilliant. Do you have any lasting memories of your week there in 01? There's been a lot of reminiscing this week. I think Phil Mickelson was sort of throwing back to stories when he played around with Seve and Tiger did the same today. And Are there any cool sort of memories or interactions with anyone that have really stuck with you? Yeah, there was uh, there was a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, my dad caddied for me in the par three competition and uh, he's a bit of a larrikin. So he had, um, he had photos of me and him and he told <laughs> all these mates at home that my caddy got sick and he actually worked for me for the whole week. Um, which was a load of <laughs> bullshit, but that's what he told his mates. Um, and then I probably, one of the last thing, one of the greatest things was I was warming up for the first round and I wasn't feeling too bad. I thought, oh, I'm not feeling too bad. I thought I'd be way more nervous. And Sam Sneed and uh, Byron Nelson were starting and I thought, oh, I've got to go watch that. I was on the putting green now. We're right there. So I went and hit them off and watched them hit off. And, I'm, and, I, and I sort of looked around and went, oh, wow, this is kind of a big deal. And then I got really nervous. And so I hit my first tee shot. I knocked a guy out. I hit him right on the top of the head, right above his eye. And then I, that went through onto ninth fairway. And then my second shot went back through the pines. I hit a guy on the shoulder over on the other side of the fairway. And uh, I got on the green. I was really shaken up. And, uh, yeah, Chris, Chris, DeMarco, Chris DeMarco said, are you all right? I said, no, just give me a minute here. And I tell, you know, I made five and moved on. I think I shot like 78. I had a rough day, but... It was, yeah, I knocked a guy out at 8.30 in the morning. It was terrible. <laughs> so one, one over on the card and, and two in an ambulance. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I was, just, um, I was all discombobulated. But uh, I just thought, I thought, this guy's probably waited 20 years for tickets and I've knocked him out at 8.30. So, um, but I called him that night. Yeah, he was... Oh, that is, that's one of the great stories. Thank you so much. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, this is oh, it's, a, it's a shocking segue, Craig. Now after that, but um, we've all been watching. Um, amazingly enough, the the Bryson DeChambeau factor sort of come to life in the last few months. Obviously, it's been a work in progress for a while. We saw it firsthand at Royal Melbourne last year, but it's only getting bigger and stronger uh, as we roll, particularly towards Augusta. The, the, the reason it's a segue here is that first tee. There's a lot of speculation that he might actually be able to drive the first green if uh, if he catches a nice drive here with a win behind him, um, given the different prevailing winds in November to, to April at Augusta. Um, does this blow your mind? And what what are your thoughts about it all? Uh, yeah, it's, it's look, it's it's nuts. Look, I, and I'm in. I'm captivated by it, but um, I'm worried about a few things for for the game's health. I think it's a new shiny toy right now, and that's always interesting, but I'm worried about 20 years' time when, you know, historically everyone gets caught up to. You know, Nicholas got caught up to, Norman did, Tiger was long, Daly was long. They, that's average now. I just posted something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Tiger is actually, his 2,000 long driving stats at 298 yards would be 89th last season. So that's yeah, kind of amazing. damning to me. It sort of, it diminishes the, in some ways it can diminish the, the talent that it takes to drive it that far and long um, because of the equipment, not because of the athlete. Um, I've got no problem with the athlete. And I think what the what's happening now is the athletes are catching up to the evolution of the equipment. Um, and we're seeing them show us what is actually doable. And, and whether it's Bryson, it, there'll be more, I guarantee you, because I work out a facility and there's a couple of kids there that are 17 years old that can already generate 128 miles per hour club head speed and hit it pretty straight 
at 330 to 340 carries. So they're 17. And don't you can't think that there's not hundreds and thousands of kids who are going to be trying to do that in the future. And so that will, when everyone is doing that, the sport becomes less dimensional. And to me, I don't find that as interesting. Um, less decision-making, more just bash into a zone instead of into the fairway. Um, it's, it's a different game, and it's not my favourite part of the direction that we're all going right now. I'm sure it's fun right now to watch. I just worry when there's, everybody's doing it, it's, it may not be as fun to watch. So before I ask you about what you think a potential solution might be, if you can think about that while I ask you this next question, uh, by way of reference, when you were 17, so um, I'm guessing sort of 1990-ish roughly, um, what, were, what were your driving numbers? I know there probably weren't track men around, but what, would, what was your club head speed and how far were you hitting it at that, at that age and stage? Well, I mean, I remember, I remember 250 metres was a pretty big hit, like 275 yards. Um, I, I remember that being, oh, okay, I hit that one pretty good. You know, we didn't really worry about it. You know, we were all, you know, trying to hit it in play. It was, you know, because I started with wooden drivers and, you know, that's the, I guess, the advantage to my this discussion is I've experienced that beginning all the way through to where it is now. So, and I've had to adjust along the way. And so... I can't really tell you. I'd say, you know, 275 yards would have been a very good hit. Um, but we never measured much. We just didn't have the tools. That's the thing now. Everyone's got the knowledge. I mean, we know down to the degree of, of impact where we need to be, up or down. So um, it's it's much easier now with that knowledge to tinker and, and fool around and, and get it optimal. And that's all. If you're not optimal right now as a professional, then you're crazy. You, you know, we all need to be have optimal launch conditions as, as much as we can. So where does this end, mate? What would you like to see happen? And if it doesn't happen, what are you fearful of? Look, I'm always fearful that, you know, I, I liken it to when tennis became, you know, is, is now if you're not six foot four, uh, golf is always, you know, six foot four and, and a big serve. No one comes to the net anymore. It's less dimensional game. And I've found that as a non sort of just, you know, peripheral tennis fan, I found that a little less interesting. Um, you're always going to get your golf fans who are avid fans watching the game, but you need to pick up and get people interested who are on the, on the periphery and just like, and Tiger did that. Um, but now if you have, you know, think of a, a field full of a hundred guys driving it that far, there's no decision-making process. There's no, you just bash it into an area, um, golf courses. What are we going to do about, we're one of the few sports where venues we play on are artwork. They're not just, you know, a, a stadium with lines on the ground. They're, they're actual artwork. There's, and so, I, you know, we've got to hack those bits to try and, you know, we're going to take a crayon to a Picasso, basically. I mean, that's just nuts to me um, to try and combat this. Um, I would like to see, you know, changes to spin rates with the ball. I'd like to see the driver be smaller. Um, I feel for guys who are really talented, in driving the ball. You think of someone like an Adam Scott to me, who if you gave him 100 balls in the, the old 2000, you know, even go back to, to just the year 2000, gave him that equipment, you know, Adam would hit up 90 out of the middle, straight down the middle, and I'd hit 50. But then you give me bigger and everyone bigger equipment, bigger sweet spots, now you push me up, I might get 70, 75, but he doesn't go up that much. He's like, dude, I'm already awesome at that. So 
that's the thing to me. It diminishes the skill level required to hit the ball straight and long. Um, there was a, that used to be a really high skill. Now, dude, I'm 47 years old. I'm the longest I've ever been in my career. And there's a chance I might get longer, you know, if I keep working out. So that makes zero sense to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a, it's a bit of a rant I went on. But, yeah, that's, there's a lot to it to unpack. And I don't know what they're going to do. I know they're not listening to me. But I, I just uh, I worry for, you know, a sport that becomes just so just bash and grab, you know, bash and wedge. You know, you're not going to need to hold a four-iron. You, you, can, you might play with 10, 12 clubs. I mean, it's crazy. Mm. Do you do you think, Greg? That do you think the the sort of sentiment you have, and I think Hazy and I agree with you wholeheartedly here. Do you think that's shared among the playing group on the PGA Tour, or is it split sort of between the younger and the older guys, or do most players not care yeah. about distance and sort of where we're going, or how do you how do you think it's where it sits? I think it's um, the general consensus. I'd imagine it, young guys are like, hey, we worked really hard. Understand, uh, and it takes a lot of skill to do to drive it straight, which it does. But you know what takes more skill? Doing it with harder to hit straight equipment, right? <laughs> you know, so go grab, and we've seen players do it. I think uh, Gary Woodland did it, um, Lucas Herbert did it, and it's but it is harder, right? It is a um, much more skillful to pull out the old tour burner plus. Um, and, and an old ballada ball and try and hit that long and straight. And now what happens is because you, you take out the element of, oh, this, I could hit this out of bounds, right? You take that away because it, it just doesn't go offline as easily as it used to. So now you just smash away with confidence. And if you ask a lot of guys, what shot are you trying to hit off the tee? There's no ball flight in mind. It's just, man, I just smash it and it goes. No one's trying to hit a draw or fade now. They're just smashing it, right? So I don't know. Um, I think, you know, you, I see on Twitter a lot of old guys like me, uh, you know, we feel like we're saying get off our lawn, but that's we could probably more on this page. <laughs> but there's other people who are like, no, I love the direction. It's great. It's evolution to them. Um, and that's okay. Um, I just disagree. Geez, it must be very confronting to you, mate, I would imagine, to see your name slotted into an argument between uh, Brandel Shambly and Mike Clayton on social media. Yeah, that happens. And look, look, I love, I think Brandel thinks long and hard about what he's saying and doing. Um, and, you know, we, we go back and forth. I disagree with what I, and he's flipped, you know, he flipped in 2018, 19. Um, and we disagree, but I also learn from him. So I'm okay with that. I'm more on Clades' page. Uh, I don't expect everyone to just roll over and tickle my belly and agree with me. Um, it's Twitter. You know, it's a bit of a cesspool sometimes. So, but that's okay. I think I've got pretty valid reasons for why. Um, and and here's, the, here's the great thing. If, we do, if they do nothing and if they do something, but, but particularly if they do nothing about it, we're going to find out, aren't we? You know, we're going to find out what our sport has become in 20 years' time if we just continue down this path. This is very true. Now, we should let you go. I know you've got uh, more pressing matters this evening in Texas. Um, but before we do, there's obviously been um, some scheduling problems that have curtailed, the, I guess, the main events in the Australian Summer of Gold, which I know would be a great disappointment to you. You've been a fantastic uh, stalwart of all the major championships whenever you can. Do you have a thought about what they could be timing-wise in the future? I know there was some... Uh, conjecture about whether they 
could drift off to February uh, more permanently or is it November for you when that's the best thing for everyone overseas on tour? Uh, I can't speak for a lot of guys. I know we whisper sometimes to each other and chat about things. I don't know many guys on the PGA Tour, Aussies they're talking about, but even if you want to attract foreign you know, uh, overseas players who play over here down to Australia... I don't see them going too far from here in February. It's right in the, the mid. There's some really big events on. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the best bet would probably be, still be November, selfishly, November, December, um, if, that was, if that suits, you know, people playing over here. Um, but I don't know. I can't speak to the European or, you know, bringing back people from Japan or the European Tour um, or Asia or wherever. So hopefully, you know, we can get to a point where, you know, I don't know what the government needs. They need faster testing. I mean, obviously, while COVID's going on, you've got to sit in a hotel for two weeks. Um, there's very little chance that we're going to have players coming home to play. So, um, But hopefully we can get a testing process that's quick and we can get to, get back to it at some point. So I, I'm bummed. I was really I was keen to get back there because I get limited status and um, I thought there'd be a way we could do it. But, uh, you know, it's not working out. Uh, how, and how has the whole COVID situation played out for the Chalmers family? And I know you're in a, a very strong community there in Texas with um, Sendo and everyone. Is everyone safe and fit and well? Yeah, so um, my wife had it uh, about two and a half weeks ago, uh, about 10 days of not a lot of fun, uh, isolated in the house and uh, and not gravely sick, but just not healthy. Um, uh, so, but she's she's tested well now. She's clear. Uh, she's still got some symptoms. So, and the boys and I got two sons, and we were fine. Uh, we stayed away from her. Um, so that was all good. And my son actually said to me, he said, "You know what, Dad? You're doing a pretty good job, job cooking dinner." So I felt pretty good about that. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, I, I did say to him, "Don't ever tell your mum that." But anyway. Um, it, look, it's pretty rampant. I was going to ask you whether uh, whether Nicole thought the same thing. Yeah, so I don't want to get... There's some jobs you don't want to get too good at, so you're going to have to do them all the time. So I I, I, uh, I definitely don't want to be having to do that every night. But anyway, she's good. And look, it's pretty rampant here. We've got, you know, high school sports, everything's getting cancelled left and right. Um, we're worried, you know, November's coming up. At Thanksgiving, there's whispers that we may cancel all in-person school after that. We don't know how that's going to unfold because, you know, we had 130,000 cases in the country yesterday. Um, our county where we live has got smashed. Um, and there's, you know, I don't know what the plan is. Um, we just kind of walk around with masks on and stay away from everybody. Been lucky so far. And everyone I know, like Pants and Sendo, they've been pretty lucky too. Um, and the golf, on the golf side of things, the PJ Tour has done a wonderful job. Uh, I mean, and everyone's got on the same page and making sure they stay in the hotel room and stay in their own mini bubble, I guess you could call it. Um, we had fans last week. That was phenomenal. Um, down in Houston. So, it works, you know, so um, stay tuned. I don't know what's going to happen. You know more than me, maybe. I don't know. No, I doubt it. I don't think anyone has any clue what's going on in the United States, so I apologise for even bringing it up. But I just, we, you know, we, we're sitting here, um, fingers crossed that all you guys are safe and fit and, and doing what's right for the families, which I know is your priority. So um, I, I should also ask you before you go, you had a great run. I always ask you about this sort of stuff. You had a great run with the Dallas Stars, but the Cowboys not doing so well for you. Oh my God, they suck balls. They're terrible. Um, so we're uh, uh, everyone. Everyone's talking about tanking now. We're going to tank for draft picks. So they nearly won last week, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Don't win." Um, so 
if we can keep <laughs> losing, we might get a second or third a second or third pick in the draft, which is big currency over here. Uh, that's how we got Ezekiel Elliott, the running back. So yeah, I'm a little bummed because I really get into my football over here, and uh, um, the, the stars was fun to watch. You know, it was right in the meat of COVID, so that I would have actually gone to games if we're allowed to, but they were in a bubble playing, and no fans. So um, that was fun, and so yeah, I, I, look, I've always I just love watching sport, and you know, I watch anything at an elite level, but. Um, but yeah, the Cowboys. God, they're terrible. <laughs> After all the hard <laughs> questions I've asked you, and the one that's brought you the most pain is the old football watching on television. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just the way it is, man. You get into it, and, you, and you know, everybody's a fan of a club. They, they're all they've all gone through rough times, and that's what we're doing right now. So never mind. It's a, it will still survive. True, true. Mate, Greg Chalmers, thank you so much for joining us. We, you're always um, you know, delightful to chat to and give us a great insight. We really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Take care. Stay healthy. Cheers. Greg Chalmers joining us on Inside the Ropes. We'll be back with a whole lot more, including another win for an Australian on the other side of this. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back Inside the Ropes. And I'm... Never has our title raised more questions because the ropes, uh, Benny mentioned them in the first segment about no ropes this week at the Masters. And then one of the all-time great yarns there from Greg Chalmers knocking a couple of people outside the ropes into oblivion <laughs> on the first hole of the Augusta National. Might have been perfect for Greg Chalmers to make his second appearance at the Masters this week with uh, obviously no patrons. Could have saved a bit of yeah, pain would- and heartache, but anyway. He wouldn't have known what to do with the body count so low standing on the second tee. Uh, phenomenal. The first hole was given um, some uh, real head-scratching moments to a lot of people over the years. Because it's not often on television, it historically hasn't been on television other than the drive, um, it's probably little discussed, but it's just a, a brutal hole uh, for so many reasons, um, even up to the green. I mean, it looks flat from a distance but it's wildly undulating and uh it's yeah, it's it's crazy i remember vividly ernie l was taking all those putts half a dozen years ago maybe was it six or seven putts uh to knock himself out of contention you know very early on in the piece um historically adam scott's played the hole really poorly and when he hasn't he's been in contention so it's a real barometer for him um obviously it was for for snake charmers um but if Bryson plays it well with a long driver early and puts it in play, I think that's going to set the tone for him as well. Um, to me, I posted with your help a story that I wrote this week uh, about Augusta National being played without crowds. Uh, I think that of all the sport that I've been lucky enough to witness firsthand and watch on television at an elite level, the Masters is right up there in terms of the impact the crowd has for me. Um, by the time a lot of people are listening to this this week, um, we'll already have seen some of the variations in what a COVID Masters is as, a paired, as opposed to a normal one. But I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Justin. But to me, the roar of the crowd and the impact the crowd has will have a, um, almost a, a tangible effect on the way that Sunday in particular plays out at Augusta National. Yeah, I read your stories and agreed with a lot of what you said. And I think that was the point that that you brought up was if you look back at recent examples of things that have happened at Augusta, specifically, I guess, 
over the last couple of decades would they have happened if there was no crowds there yeah, Tiger in 05 and um, I mean even last year way he just got an absolute roll on that back nine and the others particularly at the 12th sort of all fell down around him I think four or five were all put a ball into Ray's Creek so I, I mean we saw it obviously the first couple of examples of it this year at Wingfoot and at Harding Park without crowds and Kyle Porter from CBS, he sort of put it out as a bit of a half-baked take, but it sort of got my attention. And he said that he's been thinking about whether it might be a little bit sort of harder to win at Augusta without crowds because it's going to be so eerie and just sort of, it's going to be way more bizarre than a Harding Park without crowds or a Wingfoot without crowds. And I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be harder to win without the pressure of tens of thousands of people screaming uh, over the top of every move you make, but it will be super bizarre for these players to come down the back nine and there to be absolutely no one around. And I think we even touched on it there with Benny. If there's an Australian in the hunt and he finds himself around the 18th green on Sunday afternoon, how weird is it going to be seeing that final hole of the tournament without anyone there? I mean, I'm sure they'll pull a few staff out from here and there and there will be sort of hangers on milling around. But it's only just occurred to me this morning about what it's going to be like watching that final hole of the Masters this year and there'll be no one on that 18th green. It's going to be... Super strange, and yeah, I mean, we don't know. A lot of people talk about, obviously, Morikawa was so good at the PGA this year, and then Matthew Wolf was unbelievable uh, at Wingfoot, taking it right up to Bryson for the weekend, and obviously those guys were sort of used to playing in front of no crowds. They were playing college golf a year ago. I think Matt Wolf tweeted this morning that he watched last year's Masters on his couch at college uh, when Tiger got up, so uh, these guys aren't obviously not used to playing in front of big crowds. So maybe that's what's been playing into their favor this year at the majors. But I mean, I guess we won't know who it's going to impact and how it's going to impact them until we see who's up there on the leaderboard late in the tournament. Yeah. Morikawa is fascinating to me. I watched him on um, a golf channel interview last night. He was saying when he walked through the gates and, you know, in preparation, having come off the range to go and play for the first time this week, that was the first time he's been to Augusta national uh, and in a lot of ways, this played right into his hands to not have the crowd there and, and putting the heat on him. And he said primarily the biggest asset for him was that it enabled him to see the course, as we were discussing with Benny, without any obstacles, without grandstands, and to know the lie of the land and to, to see the nuances of the terrain and the topography, etc. He said, this will not only stand me in good stead this week, but forevermore, whether I come to Augusta no more times or another 30 or 40 times, um, you know, it's going to benefit him in the long run. I just think if, if you think back, it doesn't, everyone has a favorite masters or a, you know, a, a magical disappointing moment or whatever, uh, whatever it is, it could be Fred couples when his ball hung up on the, on the side of the Creek there it could be any number of things. Think about the crowd and the impact it had before and after that moment. Those things aren't really there this week. And I, I guarantee you having been there a few times, um, you know exactly what's going on. I might be following Jason Day around in one group, but I know what Tiger's doing because I can hear the roar three three fairways back. I know that he's just made an eagle on eight because the you know it, it, the the noise just hovers in the pines, and uh, that impact will not be there this week. That's it's a massive thing for me to uh, get wrap my head around. It's going to be fascinating on the on the Masters Sunday to see. Uh, I just don't think there's going to be as many wild fluctuations because the crowd just won't have impacted mentally as much as it normally would on all the players who are in contention. I might be a complete idiot. I generally am with prognostications around Augusta. 
And I think the, the leading example of what you're sort of talking about is Morikawa's drive at the PGA on 16. I think maybe to sort of the half-interested golfer each year, there's probably one or two shots that sort of define the year or the tournament or whatever. And that's certainly the one we've got so far, now through two majors. And you wonder how much more memorable that shot, how much a more engaging highlight that shot is if there's 10,000 people around that green or however many people standing there watching it and 100 percent, and that went down to the to the wire i know you had a couple of shots gap after that but it was you know it was it was tension plus that raw could have really worked in in his favor had it um, been surrounded by a gallery that's one of the all-time great shots in major championships let's not make any mistake about that um it's a driver over 300 yards to almost not kick in but not far from gimme range for an eagle at the crutch clutch i should say point of a major championship um you know you're right it's just it would be so much better with the you know a jet takeoff style sort of roar uh in the background but anyway these are the things that lie ahead of us this week at augusta national we can only uh wait and see how it impacts things amazingly enough it's only going to be uh three or four months and we'll be back talking about the next edition uh sort of crazy when you think about it um, but anyway, that's the way it is. Um, one more thing of note to me this week before we move on to Minji Lee and the other deeds of the Australians around around the traps, I noticed um, an incredible statistic. Um, Sergio Garcia, along with Joaquin Neiman, has been a victim of COVID-19 this week, unable to play the Masters. Uh, he had previously played 84 consecutive major championships, and that was the leading figure on tour. Um, guess who that leaves in front at the top of the pops now in most consecutive majors played, mate? Have you got any idea? I reckon it could be Mr. A. Scott. That is correct. Well, it's uh, bonus points for you and elephant stamp if you can tell me how many. Uh, roughly, <laughs> Sergio Garcia had 84 on the trot. Uh, Adam Scott is next. Mm. And Zach Johnson was third, now second on the podium. I reckon I would say people are going to think we've scripted this, but I actually had this as my little nugget at the end. Uh, it's 77 oh. in a row for Adam, and he goes to number one now. He does. Sorry, I did no idea. We hadn't discussed that, I promise, everyone. Uh, that's impressive for me. I've, I've wrecked your nugget, though, which I apologize for. You big time. <laughs> you might have to dig around and find a bit more here just before we close. So, Mate, let's press on. I know you were you were quite taken by by Minji Lee this week in Dubai. It was another f- phenomenal effort. Yeah, absolutely, and found herself on the European Ladies European Tour, which she doesn't too often. And it was still a really strong field. It wasn't a large field, but it was a good one. And there was lots of the top players in the world there. And sort of from the restart, Minji had a really good patch on the LPGA, and then sort of fell away the last sort of few weeks. She had a T fifty eight at the women's PGA at uh, Aronimink and then T60 the following week at the LPGA drive-on and then sort of had a couple of weeks off. And I mean, that, to have two results for that for Minji Lee is extraordinarily uncommon. She goes she goes months and months and months and years without doing that back-to-back weeks. And yeah, jump back straight into it in Dubai and one under lights and typical Minji fashion. I'm... I think last year I, I had the task of putting together sort of a highlights package of all her wins. And it's sort of uncanny how often it's a 15-foot birdie putt. There was one in LA and I think the Blue Bay when she won and the Lottie Championship and she does it in style. So 
Um, win number eight around the world for her. I think that's two on the European Tour now, and she's got five on the LPGA, of course, and then the extra Vic Open that she won as an amateur. So uh, eight wins for mid I looked at the world rankings this morning. I was staggered. She's, she's got up one spot. Now, obviously, it was a smaller field event on the Ladies European Tour, but she's gone from world number nine to world number eight, and no one else in the top 19... I think basically would have played, but no one else has moved. So, I mean, there's, there's mathematics and there's numbers and it's pretty hard evidence that that's all she should move. But to think he can win a tournament and they go at one position on the world rankings is uh, interesting, at least. That said, that said though, uh, she replaced uh, Sung Hyung Park at number eight. Minji's been as high, I think, as maybe even three uh, this year. Um, I, two, I think she got two. Oh, sorry, last year I think she got to two. Two, the, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it's on a scale here, and the, the scale's, you know, relative and, and, and arbitrary for sure, but Jin Young Ko remains the world number one by one point on the averages, averages, which is how it's calculated. But she's at 7.9, and Min Ji at number nine is 5.23. So one good result in a big tournament, and there are still a couple coming up on the LPGA schedule in coming weeks. Um, she could really make a big inroad into the, you know, back up into the, the top echelon there. Not that she isn't already among those as a player, but um, those, those rankings, and it, it shows you why the LPGA is so interesting to watch. It's fascinating to see the players above her. They're all just so good. Brooke Henderson, Nasa Hadaoka, Inby Park, Danielle Kang has had an amazing year. Nellie Corder, we know all about. Say Young Kim, the recent major winner, and Jin Young Ko coming off the basically the sensational 2019. So, you know, it's such a deep field, the women's, uh, the ranking. So we got to cut us some slack there. Another good result, mate, for um, for inside the ropes, I'm going to call her our own, uh, Steph Kiriakou in, in Dubai in the same tournament. Yeah, absolutely. She finished T17. Um, I put out a tweet this morning about some of Steph's results this year because it's, it's been unreal. She... She, I went back and looked actually at her amateur sort of performance. So she finished top 10 in, in January this year. I mean, she was still an amateur and still was still planning to be an amateur for quite a while, I think. And finished top 10 at the Australian Master of the Amateurs at Victoria and top 10 also at the New South Wales Amateur. And then the week before that, up in Queensland at the Oz Amateur, she reached the quarterfinals and lost there. But And then obviously went to Bonville and won and it completely changed her life. And she'd never been to Europe ever before this year and obviously won the Ladies European Tour card. And then rattled off four top tens in a row uh, a few weeks ago. And she's sort of been sort of just jumping around Europe and taking a week holiday here and then playing again there. And she had a couple of weeks off, I think, and then obviously went to Dubai and hasn't slowed down. So T17 now. She's our fifth ranked golfer in the women's rankings as far as Australia goes. And she's inside the top 200 for the first time. And uh, I just think back to January when she was playing in the Oz Amateur. Uh, she played... Doe Choi, and I think she knocked her off in the around a 16, I would have said, but they were probably one and two, along with Grace Kim, probably one, two, three, Australia's best young female amateurs, and weren't really uh, considering turning, I don't think, in the immediate future, but you look now, she's inside the world top 200 and routinely putting up amazing efforts on the ladies' European tour, so crazy year for Steph, and I'm not sure what she's got coming up now. I think she's playing in Saudi Arabia this week, so... Hopefully another good one. And yeah, she's just going to keep climbing and climbing. Well, she's now the top ranked player in the rookie of the year standings, which is amazing. As you said, she was not even going to be vaguely anywhere near that tour. 
until she had a big success in New South Wales this year. So um, top of the rookie rankings on the LET and now number five, would you believe, in the race to Costa del Sol, their, their sort of race to Dubai equivalent. So phenomenal achievement. I She was contemplating, I haven't spoken to her, but she was contemplating her end of season uh, scheduled. And given that she's left Australia again to go and play, I'm pretty sure that she'll end up back in Spain to complete that race to Costa del Sol, which would be phenomenal if she can do something special there and you wouldn't put it past her. It's an amazing achievement. So well done, Steph. Uh, and another, Justin, of um, the raft of young women coming through, Sean again, Gabby Ruffles this week in the Symmetra Tour Championship. Yeah, amazing from Gabby. Amazing last couple of months. Uh, obviously, I think she's in her second year at USC over there, or might be third year. I think second year, but... Obviously, about going into her yeah, final year, third year, actually. Oh, okay, no, I've sold her short there. Um, <laughs> yeah, as we, she defended the USAM and was bitterly unluckily. I know you and I were up early that morning watching the finish and finish runner-up in the final, and I think she won eleven matches in a row to that point, uh, which was fantastic. Then T fifteen at the A and A the week after, which is obviously a major championship, and then now she's fronted up at the Symmetra Tour and finished top five, which I think even. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. When I woke up and saw that, I think her form line coming through that tournament, T5 and the Symmetra Tour is, is at least where she belongs. She's becoming an incredible player and she's putting the results up. And uh, Between her and Steph, I think we've got sort of two very different career paths, but they're both sort of trending in the same direction. So uh, brilliant from Gabby. And I think she's going to get another crack at the LPGA in a couple of weeks. I think there's a tournament in Florida, perhaps, that she's been given a start in. So I know she's been um, looking for as many starts on the LPGA as she can get. And thankfully, they've identified her and they're they're giving him to her, which is great because the more experience she gets, uh, she could finish anywhere on an LPGA leaderboard. She's that good at the moment. So it's great to see. She's in good nick. Um, so just capping off other Australians, Whitney Hillier was tied 44th in Dubai behind Minji Lee, of course. Um, we mentioned um, the Symmetra Tour. Here in Avid, uh closed really well with a pair of 71s to finish tied 18th there. Robin Choi had a flat third round, but other than that, was pretty good to share tied 18 with, um, with here in Navid. Uh, Stefan Arm missed the cut. Uh, Rod Pampling was the best at the, um, on the PGA Tour Champions in Phoenix, finishing in a tie for 16th there. So that's a good result for him. Um, we want to mention Mav Ancliffe, who did pretty well at Cyprus on the European Tour, finished um, in a tie for 41st. I'm not sure, Jace, Justin, if you know much about Jason Scribner, who was retired um, in that event, that, that newly formed event in Cyprus. Did you hear anything about what happened to Jason Scrivener? No, I didn't. I'm not sure. It's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. He's had some good results and... Had some tough results this year, but um, probably one of Australia's most consistent uh, golfers who just fronts yeah. up every week and plays well and doesn't get the recognition. Sorry, I've thrown you under the bus there with a question without notice. And just wrapping up around the world, um, <laughs> Jason Day, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Adam Scott and our previous guest, Greg Chalmers, were all in the top 50 at the Houston Open. Day, of course, uh, finishing in a share of seventh. So well done to Jason Day. We hope that that translates into something special this week. Uh, so another successful week. I think that's 12 now from, if we're counting correctly, Australian winners on t- global tours this year. It's phenomenal, especially when you consider that there's been three or four months ripped out of it. And for so many of our players on the Asian, Japanese, 
etc. tours um, who haven't had the chance to play and the challenge tour and, and all the problems to have 12 winners. I think we're punching so far above our weight. It's a phenomenal achievement. Yeah, it's 12 winners in a shortened season. As you said, there's been a bunch of times taken out and we started so hot, uh, especially in the PGA Tour. Obviously, Cam Smith won, uh, Mark Leachman won early in the year and Adam Scott won. Uh, and then it felt like, oh, maybe it'll slow down and we'll sort of return to that equilibrium. But they've come back and just all around the world they've been winning. It's quite incredible. And, I mean, you wouldn't think that that's – we're probably not done. You'd hope not for the end of the year. There's still, what, eight weeks left in this year. So maybe we can start off this week by getting a win in Georgia. That would make it a pretty fortunate 13th. Yeah, that, that would work nicely. All right, we'll take one more last break and come back with some uh, really important housekeeping notes here on the other side of this. It's your chance to get among uh, some big prizes. Can't fit you out for a green jacket, but we'll see what we can do for other big prizes during Masters Week on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, uh, our final segment here today. And normally sometimes we sort of, you know, we send a few... Uh, well, half-baked ideas into this segment, but not today, not with Justin Falconer on board. I know he's got something very big planned and he's sort of like <laughs> Santa Claus coming a little bit early with a lot of presents involved. So, Rocket, I think you should uh, tell all our listeners about uh, a series of great prizes that are on offer this Masters week. Indeed, Hazy. Uh, I think if one of us is going to be Santa, it's probably you with the white beard you've been running for the most of lockdown this year. <laughs> anyway... Um, we mentioned it at the top of the show, and I think we mentioned it last week as well. Masters Living Room is what we're running with this year, and it's live now as of Wednesday morning. So we're giving Aussie golfers the chance to win some awesome, awesome prizes just by getting into the Masters spirit. All you've got to do is inject some golfing spirit into your living room, take a snap of it. Could be a photo of you, could be a selfie, could be a photo of anyone in your family sprawled across the couch, and upload it at masterslivingroom.golf. That's all we're doing. And there's 29 prizes up for grabs. We've had a little bit of a few OCD issues with not being around 30. So we're trying to hunt a final one just so we can get to the nice round th- number of 30. Uh, we've got prizes from Callaway, Bushnell, MyGolf, Get Into Golf, and also KO. And uh, the main prizes, as I mentioned, we've got three Callaway drivers to give away. And you'll get the choice of a Callaway Big Bertha BB21 driver or a Callaway Big Bertha Rever driver which is the new one from Callaway, engineered specifically for women. But they're both valued at 829 Hazy. So you wouldn't mind getting your hands wow. on one of those. And we've also got three Bushnell wingmans that we ran a competition with probably a couple of months ago, which is the little speaker that you can – it's got a little magnet. It's also a Bluetooth speaker, sorry, and it's also a rangefinder. They're valued at 299 On top of that, we've got 20 free introductory golf programs to give away. Uh, you can have a choice between a my golf program or a, for kids or for adults. You get a five-week get into go, golf program, both valued at $100. Now, we've also got three months KO sus- subscriptions ready to give away to lucky winners. They're valued at $75. So you can, once an Aussie wins the Masters this week, you can get your free KO subscription and you can check the replay on next weekend. So uh, nothing better. We've got all the info there at masterslivingroom.golf. And we're going to be picking the winners on creativity hazy and commitment to the course so the more green the more merch the 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 further you go here the more likely you are to win so as i said dress up as a golfer movie character happy gilmore paint the walls plant the georgia pines as you mentioned i've got in the room here this morning you've got till next monday 
So obviously the Masters is going to finish early Monday morning. Uh, you've got until 8 p.m. on next Monday, so that's 16th of November, to upload your photo. So go for it. Go nuts. We've given you a couple of days' warning to get down to the $2 shop and buy some uh, <laughs> props and things like that. And uh, everything you need to know, masterslivingroom.golf. Well done. I, I can't imagine that a $2 shop prop's going to get the chocolates when um, there's going to be people with azaleas and dogwoods and all sorts of things <laughs> breaching quarantine rules across the border to get it into the country and win this prize. What a great series of prizes that is. Um, those drivers, are, um, are, I understand, to be absolutely awesome. Is it the Rever? Is that what you said? Yep. That's the one designed specifically for women. So they're brand new. He's from Callaway, so... They've got the new range out and we're giving away through them. Uh, some great stuff there from Callaway and the, and, the, and the wingman, wingman, I should say, and wingmans. It's sort of weird to say wingmans. They're a great prize. Um, yeah, just the whole, <laughs> whole kit and caboodle there. I, I'm going to have to go and crank out. I've got a few uh, little bits of merch. I'm not sure they're going to get me across the line. I think I think the uh, the inventiveness is the, is the key here. So, uh, I like what you've done with the pines. I think that's key. Um, we'll see how it goes. You're you're pretty keen on winning these prizes, aren't you? Yeah, well, I think there's something in the terms and conditions that puts both you and me uh, void from winning, which is more than unfortunate. Oh. But you never know. You see what you can do. I'll be I'll be entering, so I'll be looking to see your uh, prize from uh, your entry, and maybe we can take out some sort of all staff prize, maybe. Yeah, maybe we can find a 31st prize and just do it among ourselves. Look, I wanted to mention one other thing um, before we before we shuffle off. It's been sort of um, caught in the crossfire of a lot of other things going on this year, but it is coming around. We've obviously ticked deep into November and give or take a, a, a probably about four weeks is the, I guess, ideal day to be playing the longest day in golf. Uh, for the cancer councils, the various cancer councils around Australia. Uh, if you want to go on to longestday.org.au and find out how you can get involved, I know that Andy and I have played this a handful of times. I know plenty of others have. Um, have you have you conquered the 72 in a day yet, Justin? I haven't. Every year I I'm, I'm say I'm going to do it and I haven't done it, but I'm, I think this year might be the year. I also saw that this year I think you can... You can nominate to just do a 36 or a 54 hole challenge as well, or do the full bunger 72. That's correct. So for the you know to get everyone involved, and this it started off in Victoria, and it was based around you know one of the longer days in the year, which I think they're sort of mooting this year as December 14 is the sort of point from which you know you can go out a week or two either way. Obviously, the longest day is a little later than that. But uh, any time in January that suits, and for those who have got a bit of a uh, marshmallow disposition like Jay Falconer here, haven't quite managed the 72 holes, uh, as he points out, 36 and 54 are <laughs> options this, this year. And for those who don't live, uh, or who live much closer to the equator than we do in Victoria here, uh, those shorter options might be your best bet to get around on the day. It's phenomenal. It's a real challenge. It's not. I'm not going to lie to you and say getting around 72 holes is a is a uh, is a doddle. It's clearly not. Um, you know, you'd probably need to do some training in, in advance. I know I've had the uh, the stats out. I've walked sort of roughly marathon distance a bit more the last two or three years uh, on that day doing it. Um, we start at sort of quarter to six in the morning and try to finish it by. Um, by, this, by quarter to six, six o'clock at night. There are some people who last year rushed around 
at Flinders and played four rounds, would you believe, in six or seven hours. We're done in time for lunch. I'm not, still not sure how they did that, but um, it's 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 a really great, satisfying day. You'll blow a lot of people away if you can get it done. A lot of people will think you're an idiot, but you're really contributing to a great cause, which is the skin cancer. Um, I guess eradication is too hard a word, but uh, we really want to help out the Cancer Council if possible. Uh, already there's been over $600,000 raised this year. Um, right now on the website, it tells you that people have... Uh, I guess, logged in and, and challenged themselves. And there's 222,000 holes of golf to be played by people who have already joined. So get among it. Um, get your fundraising systems around it. I know it's been a tough year for everyone, but there's no better cause for the golf-loving community in Australia than to um, make sure that we are safe in the sun of the Australian summer. So as I said, longest day, uh, longest, just going back to my webpage, see longestday.org.au, uh, great cause. I know Andy... And I hopeful of doing it again. Um, I know that some people did it at four different courses. Some people do it all four rounds at one course. Uh, just do what you can. Do it. Don't p- pencil yourself into something is is ridiculous. I know some people did it in a cart last year, which sort of in some ways, um, you know, takes away from the challenge of it physically. But it, the the cause is still the same. Get out there and do it for the the great cause, uh, Justin. I really want to see you out there this year. It's uh, becoming imperative. I would have thought. Well, I'm hanging out for the invite from you and Murray, so um, I've never, I've never actually been welcomed down to Kurt Lewis, which might shock some of the listeners. But uh, yeah, I'm still holding out hope. <laughs> well, Ring of Steel's gone. I think you're a chance this year. So, anyway, that, that's it for Inside the Ropes, episode number 189. Um, big Masters week. Uh, hopefully, it's not too out of date by the time you're listening to us. Uh, it's just, it's too much to, to not talk about the Masters. Uh, so. Great thanks to Ben Everill all the way from Augusta in Georgia and Greg Chalmers joining us from Texas as well, reflecting on him uh, assassinating a couple of people on his one and only attempt at the at the Masters in 2001. Um, thank you, Justin Falconer. In, in, you've, you've more than uh, done enough to keep your place, I would imagine, in coming weeks. Thank you, Hansy. Last good night's sleep tonight for you, so make sure you get into bed early because it's going to be a, a long few nights. True, true. Well, that's it. Masters Week here on Inside the Ropes. Join us again next week and we'll do it all again.